Coming up, thoughts on a lot of different things. The Heisman, the NBA in-season tournament, and then we got bowl season coming up. And uh, Florida State getting left out. The Michael Mulch Podcast. Hold on to your seat, cheeks. All my blessings. 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 I need my blessings every penny. Daily counting every single one. I'm seeing plenty. Level up and watch that beat and turn it to a belly. See, I'm stunned some all I'm thinking. Please don't tell me. Got myself some brand new headphones, but man, I got to get used to them. Feels like I got my ears in cup holders here. All right, so Jaden Daniels won the Heisman Trophy. I rolled back in 2020 when I first started my blog that would be exciting to see Jaden Daniels and Caden Slovic, who was on USC at the time, battle it out for the Heisman Trophy in 2021 and uh, bring the Pac-12 to relevance again. Of course, that did not happen the following year or the next year, and both guys switched teams at least once. I think Slovic uh, transferred multiple times, if I'm not mistaken. And Jaden Daniels, of course, did not make it through Arizona State and the turnover there with Herm Edwards and multiple problems. They probably have a better staff in place there now. But even as a true freshman in the uh, virus year, he showed a lot of potential. Of course, his arm had to improve. Even last year at LSU, it wasn't a sure thing that he was just going to settle in as a great quarterback and not just a guy that can move around pretty well outside of the pocket when necessary. He had to really step up. But he passed for 2,900 yards his first season, 17 touchdowns, two picks, 60% completion was not fantastic. He recorded 10-plus carries or scrambles in at least eight games for 355 yards and three touchdowns and a big upset win over Oregon several years back. And that kind of showed some potential for him as highlight reel at Arizona State. Although the wins didn't necessarily come, showed great potential. And last year, he showed a little bit as well, but his completion percentage has continued to go up from 60% to 58 to 65 to 68 to 72 this past year. 3,800 yards, 40 touchdowns, four picks. Uh, ESPN also put up the stat and passes 20-plus yards downfield. He had a 67% completion percentage, 22 touchdowns and zero picks, and 25.3 yards per attempt, 20-plus yards downfield. All of those first in the country. So even though his team lost several games and the Heisman's usually given to a player that is on the, one of the best teams in the country, he still, I think, in my opinion, deserved that particular honor. He also added another 1,100 yards on the ground and 10 touchdowns for 50 total and almost 5,000 yards of total offense. Now, Penix, of course, came second. There can certainly be an argument made for him. He had his struggles as well. Of course, they beat Arizona State. That's the most glaring game. Um, it was 15-7, to and it was a pick six that helped make a difference in that game by the defense of Washington. So he certainly had his issues as well. And then Bo Nix, of course, coming up third, him losing twice to Michael Penix, and that Washington Huskies team did not help his stake at all. But they were not too far behind Penix at two and Bo Nix at three. So despite the losses, I think Jaden Daniels was rightfully 
the winner with his contributions without them. This team might have struggled to make a bowl game. That was certainly in the cards, and I think sometimes you have to consider who was both the most prolific and the most meaningful to his team. And I think if you put Jaden Daniels on Washington or Oregon, he'd have a similar high impact effect. Now, some of the arguments about him stat padding or not winning a big game, those could certainly be uh, in the mix there. Michael Penix did win bigger games and did stay undefeated, but both uh, guys had an opportunity, Bo Nix and Michael Penix, his competitors had an opportunity to pad stats as well. We know uh, Bo Nix stayed in a number of uh, blowout games, and Michael Penix stayed in a number of games because they were really close and did not necessarily put up the numbers, but he certainly had an opportunity to. They were on the table, and um, we of course know that uh, Jane Daniels was knocked out of a big game against Alabama as well, that they may have had an opportunity to win. Their losses, of course, to Florida State, uh, which ultimately just tore apart that back-end defense of LSU and continued to pour points on in the second half of that season opener. The 55-49 uh, shootout against Old Miss and then the 42-28 loss to Alabama. So stat padding is not really a conversation uh, in my mind to have. And as far as not logging a big loss, a big win, I should say. They did come from behind and beat uh, Missouri. They did beat Texas A&M, which I guess doesn't count for a whole lot anymore. And uh, they were in the mix in a couple of these games. And again, his numbers for big explosive plays and really being the catalyst for this offense was very important. I think the bowl game against Wisconsin is going to be very telling. The backup quarterback, uh, Mutzberger, I believe his name is, something with an M and a burger, I believe. Um, it will be very telling to see what he's able to do with the offense. There'll be opt-outs and stuff like that. We'll get get to that. But um, it'll be interesting. Uh, I don't know that Wisconsin's going to be that much different than LSU without Jane Daniels at the quarterback position. But a very interesting Heisman way race all the way to the end. And uh, long shot, uh, plus 2,000, I believe is what Jane Daniels opened at. Um, I know at the beginning of the season, I went as far down as I could on the Heisman potential list. And I stopped at Jane Daniels and I said, that's about as far down as I would make a wager for someone that could win the, uh, the vote there. Just because they went to the uh, SEC championship game last year. He showed some improvement going to a more competent roster with a better coach here when he transferred to LSU to join Brian Kelly last season and made another leap this year in 2023. So he is your rightful Heisman winner, and I fully agree with that. Again, uh, the media has ripped apart some of these votes, including a first team vote for JJ or a first place vote for JJ McCarthy which is crazy considering he wasn't really productive in their biggest games against Ohio State or Penn State, had one touchdown in the final month of the season, and not much was required of him for the entire year. Uh, but again, um, a lot of the awards, a lot of the voting week to week for the A people in college, uh, sports in general is is questionable at best for the most part. So, But at least the winner of the Heisman should not really be in doubt. So we are almost a full week past the NBA in-season tournament at this particular point. The Los Angeles Lakers beat the Indiana Pacers 123-109 to in the final there. Anthony Davis, of course, looking like a championship winner for sure. 41 points, 
20 rebounds, 5 assists, 4 blocks in the final, 16 for 20 floor, 20 floor from the floor uh, in that in that game and just looked dominant. LeBron James came in. He scored a triple-double in the final, 24-11 and, uh, sorry, 10, 10 defensive boards, 11 boards total, 4 assists, so not a triple-double, 24-11 and 4. I just can't uh, read what I wrote here. 28 points off the bench for Austin Reeves, who struggled this season. They only were uh, two for 13 from three and uh, were just dominant in the paint. Managed to uh, fend off the Pacers, who shot 36% from the floor, 24% from three, 10 for 41. They did a great job uh, just smothering Halliburton. Uh, Cam Reddish picked him up early, and they did a great job double-teaming him. As well in the half court, he finished with 20 points and 11 assists, 8 for 14, but deferred quite often, was only 2 for 8 from the three-point line, and just not a lot of success there for for anybody, really. Um, this was fun. I wish that the, uh, as I discussed earlier, I wish that this tournament was a little bit later in the season, not at the very beginning here where it's overlapping with football. Um, I believe one of the, one of the podcasts, uh, mismatch, um, one of the hosts noted that it'd do better in February, right after the Super Bowl and before March madness, it'd be nice lead up to that. And that would indeed be perfect timing. Um, and they could isolate the games into a specific, like two week segment. That way you know when the games are being played. Otherwise it's hard to track. Um, the games that were going on on Tuesdays and Fridays, because I didn't know who was actually going to be in it until it was, you know, teams were actually bracketed. Um, it's hard to keep track of in between normal games, and uh, I assume it'll change quite a bit. Um, one of the things that was noted by uh, Brian Windhorst was that LeBron had so much buy-in because this will probably be branded next year, and um, it'll be great for the league, bringing more revenue more money for the players, and that was part of his buy-in, is both because this is kind of a little championship he can win and something to compete for, but also because uh, it's very important to the NBA and, and he's kind of a brand ambassador for the league. So I expect this, like a lot of people, uh, to be branded next year, and that was probably part of uh, LeBron's drive per sources. But I love the change of jerseys and the change of courts. Indeed, some of them were eyesore is a little bit too bright and i love i love my colors um you know my tattoos are colored i could have got them in black and white i wear brightly colored clothes i have brightly colored screensavers i've brightly colored everything um i drive a blue car but um yeah my uh it's hard to see on tv i love my teams to wear uh nice aesthetics but this was very very brutal on the eyes and um so i assume that that'll be toned down a bit and a lot of things will be different next year but uh, one of the greatest improvements i think would be moving it to a window where it gets away from football and uh is a little bit more clear in uh how everyone's lining up as far as playing the games what's important and how uh the standings really look instead of every tuesday and friday looking to see how things are are lining up at least for those of us uh, bouncing between basketball and football which i think is probably a large demographic but uh the players seem to enjoy it 
Once we got into the uh, Vegas area, the Indiana Pacers were, of course, the uh, the big news. Halliburton had a couple really great games, and it's good to see him. The uh, Pacers had one, one nationally broadcast game on this season, so to get him in, I believe, three games here for the in-season tournament was pretty fantastic. Uh, I've only caught a couple portions of Pacers games so far, so to be able to watch these for the in-season uh, tournament were pretty fantastic. And really what the Pacers have going there is pretty impressive. Trading last season for Buddy Heald and Halliburton, and then bringing in Obi Toppin in the offseason, the cast off from the Knicks, former lottery pick, signing Bruce Brown off of the um, Nuggets, and then keeping Miles Turner, who was a, a trade piece who they ended up re-signing um, last season as well. That's their starting five. You know, it could have been a much, much different look if they didn't trade Sabonis, if they decided to move Turner, if they didn't bring in Obi and, and, and Brown. This could have been a completely different looking team. Um, TJ McConnell has done a, a great job for them. Not a great shooter, but one of those do everything guys uh, setting up plays, um, difficult to, to, to deal with on defense. And this has just been a, a great, a great team and a fun team to watch. And hopefully they'll be in um, at least the play in uh, the playoffs would be um, fun as well. And we got several great matches out of it as well. Um, the Lakers played a great game against the Suns in one of the quarter, quarterfinal games, close to a triple-double for LeBron James in that one where they ended up pulling it away. Uh, the Bucks did knock out the Knicks before falling to the Pacers in the semifinal round where Halliburton had 27 points, 15 assists, and 7 rebounds. And, of course, the Lakers pummeled the Pelicans 133-8 to eight and to 89 that was very disappointing uh game not worth watching at all um in the second half but yeah maybe we'll get more buy-in uh in future years but uh lebron and davis were motivated and it's drawn comparisons to the bubble ball uh, championship of 2020 and it was just a, a very interesting and fun experience for LeBron, who's kind of on his, his last legs here. Uh, of course, he saw uh, his son at USC perform his first game against Long Beach State this past weekend. Um, a loss for, upset loss for them there, but he got to see that. And you just kind of have to appreciate LeBron James at this point in his career. And also a new point in the NBA moving forward and something very exciting here in the uh, in-season tournament. So looking forward to changes to that in the future and uh, the fun it'll bring in uh, early season NBA basketball. So heading back to conference championship week of college football, we had some expected results and a few surprises. So recapping the power five real quick, number 24 ranked Liberty beat New Mexico State for the Conference USA title and to stay undefeated 49 to 35. Salter, the quarterback there, 319 passing yards, 165 rushing yards as well to capture that title and stay undefeated for the Flames. We had Tulane getting upset by SMU and the American Conference Championship 26-14 to as SMU's defense just stifles out the green wave. And that is a bit of a surprise. No, no conference title for Tulane or UTSA who fell uh, at Tulane on the road there uh, in the game prior. So SMU at 11-2 and 8-0 in the American finishes with a conference title there. 
there in the MAC. It's Toledo falling to Miami of Ohio, 23 to 14, and a backup quarterback there, Smith for Miami of Ohio. Is it Alex Smith? Avion Smith um, wins the day there. He's also the leading rusher for the Red Hawks there. That was a pretty miserable game. Smith was 6 for 16 for 109 yards, also rushed for 99 yards as well. That was just a horrible football game in the middle of the afternoon there. Uh, UNLV playing at home lost the Mountain West Conference Championship to Boise State 44-20. to It was just a quick start for the Boise State Broncos, who fired their head coach and had an intern in there, Spencer Danielson. And uh, two games left in the regular season. They made it to the uh, Conference Championship game and pulled out a win after a rough season, certainly there. Uh, and UNLV, after a great, great run there, it comes to an end. And Taylor Green, the quarterback for Boise State, in the transfer portal. So he is gone. Troy, unsurprisingly, won the Sun Belt, 49-23 over Appalachian State. Of course, James Madison should have been able to make it the conference championship game, but they didn't due to um, the ridiculous bans on teams moving up to the highest level here at the FBS. Now the Power Five, unsurprisingly, Michigan 26 nothing over Iowa. Uh, not a lot of excitement there. Uh, Michigan actually could have looked a bit better, looked a little sluggish there. Florida State won 16-6, of course. We all know that over Louisville, and the defense got seven sacks there on the um, cards in order to get that win. Just a great job by that defense. 14 tackles for losses and 10 accredited passes deflected. All defense. Offense didn't do much of anything. Brock Glenn was 8 for 21 for 55 yards, the third string quarterback for the Florida State Seminoles, and 160 yards on the ground. Jake Plummer couldn't get anything going for the cards, just swarmed by that great defensive line of Florida State that we know was the best unit on the field, quite frankly. Louisville's been coached up well all season there, but um, Florida State has got some talent. And uh, we'll, we'll touch on them in just a moment. Texas slams Oklahoma State 49-21. to That was an easy cover. Quentin Ewers, 452 yards passing and four touchdowns. I believe they set some records for offense in that game, if I'm not mistaken. Altogether, the Longhorns put up 662 yards of offense. They were 10 for 16 on third down, and they just absolutely outclassed the Cowboys. They were up 21 to 7 in the first frame. They were up 35 to 14 at the half. It was just uh, just a crushing defeat there for the Cowboys who rallied to make that game. Next up, we had, uh, what was the least surprising result? I guess we got a couple shockers after that, we should say. Um, besides Florida State's going undefeated and awaiting their result, we had Washington polishing off Oregon to make a clean cut into the playoffs. 34-31, to of course, Oregon was such a heavy favorite in that game over a touchdown. And uh, Washington leads early and leads uh, pretty much all the way through. 20-10 um, to 10 at the half. Uh, 14 to 7 in the fourth quarter after a couple touchdowns by Oregon in the third frame and it's just uh just Washington powering through they far outclassed the Oregon Ducks of course in the first game it was Oregon not converting on fourth downs and not kicking a field goal before the half and coming up with no points and missing a field goal at the end of the game and all these missed opportunities they should have beat Washington but not in this game 
Uh, 10 for 15 on third down for Washington, 481 yards to 363 for Oregon, so over 100 more yards. Oregon is only 3 for 10 on third down. The turnovers were the same. And two for two on fourth down were the Ducks, and uh, they just they did not have it. Washington's defense looked a lot better. Washington had 20 or 17 points by the time Oregon had run 21 total plays. They just uh, weren't able to, to to keep drives alive for the Ducks early. They put one field goal drive together, but Washington was just very disruptive. Bo Nix did end up with three passing touchdowns and 239 yards, one turnover, one really bad turnover, actually. Uh, and he led the team in rushing with 69 yards. But Jordan James, uh, seven yards per carry on five. But Bucky Irving, the top running back there, 2.2 yards per carry for him and just a bad day for the Ducks on that side. Michael Penix making some big throws. Dylan Johnson, the top running back, had 152 yards, 5.4 per carry and a couple touchdowns. And a great job by the top receivers. Uh, Oduzzi had 102 yards, 12.8 yards per reception. McMillan had 14.6 yards per catch, 131. And um, just a great job there by the uh, top guys. Polk had five catches for 57. That's 11.4 yards per catch and uh, just a great job by the top guys right when they needed it. And uh, no sacks, but um, uh, you could just tell the difference on the field. And that may very well be uh, what translates to the playoffs as well for Washington since this defense has got knocked quite a bit here. They've also played some of the top passing offenses Oregon twice uh, in the country. Um, So the defense may be a little bit better than the numbers indicate. Now, the other big one was, of course, Georgia falling 27 to 24 to Alabama in a defensive battle. 321 yards for Georgia, 306 for the Tide. Both were two for two on fourth down. Neither was good on third. Four for 12 and three for 13 were Georgia and Alabama. A turnover for the Bulldogs on a uh, Carson Beck turnover. A couple passing touchdowns for Milrow, none for Beck. Neither got a whole lot going on the ground. A little bit more for the Tide there. And uh, the Tide just scored a little bit more early, 17-7 at the half. They had a few more productive drives earlier in the game. Two scores um, late in the fourth quarter for Georgia. But they were playing from behind uh, about equal time of possession. It was really just a, a defensive battle where Alabama had the lead early and Georgia was playing catch up. And uh, it was just a sight to see. Uh, we knew Georgia had problems. Um, not as many uh, skill position players. They held some out the previous week heading into the SEC championship game against uh, not Chattanooga, but the other Zealous team that they were playing. And we knew that the defensive line wasn't as good either. So there was a comparable battle with Alabama and its uh, offensive line, which has come a long way. Jalen Milrose play, which has come a long way. Also, their uh, talent positions, skill positions for Alabama on the offensive side of, has gotten criticized as well. Uh, Brock Bowers for Georgia had five catches for 53 yards. Isaiah Bond for Alabama had five catches for 79 yards. But for the most part, this was just a defensive battle where Alabama got the lead early and was able to hang on to it throughout the remainder of the game. And uh, that upset a lot of apple carts heading into the playoff announcement, of course. The big shocker was that Florida State was left out. As we all know by now as college football fans, if you've paid any attention or not, it's bled into everything. 
actually the talking points uh, at this point die down a little bit now and will probably flare back up as the Bulls kick off in the next few days here. My thoughts on Florida State being left out and Georgia, even Oregon, and then Michigan, Alabama, Texas, and Washington all making it in. I'm okay with it. I think we lost the forest through the trees a little bit. We're trying to figure out who the best team in college football is, not who the most deserving is, as the verbiage has been discussed over and over again with the College Football Selection Committee and then on all the uh, coverage sports shows. Um, We want to find out who the best team is, right? So why would we have teams in there that aren't the best or are inferior to others? Uh, regardless of of opportunities, you know, um, this year, last year, the four team college playoff will encapsulate a perfect ten year window that we'll be able to to go back and look at. Moving forward, we'll have a twelve team playoff. And previous to those ten years, we of course had the uh, two team BCS where we tried to pick the best two teams every year. Sometimes it was more obvious to play for a national championship. And prior to that, we just handed them out. We just guessed. Uh, sometimes we had multiple teams that we said were the best every year, which is kind of ridiculous. So having a four-team playoff was supposed to give us an opportunity to actually see which team is the best, right? I mean, moving it up from from two, where occasionally we got it wrong, where occasionally we had an undefeated team when perhaps a one-loss team was better, occasionally we got it wrong. Now, opening it up to 12 teams has a whole new discussion. Oh, we won't have to worry about it next year. Oh, well, next year we'll be fighting over who's going to get the 12-13 spot. Maybe. Probably. But you know what we won't do? We won't leave out someone that could win a national championship. We may include some that can't, but we won't leave out anyone that could. Now, I contend that Michigan, Alabama, Texas, Washington, in a four-team setup, could all win two games over the other participants and win the national championship. Florida State, Ohio State, even Oregon aren't that far behind. Neither is Georgia. Georgia should actually be the number five seed, although they were bumped down to number six behind Florida State and out of the playoffs. All eight teams have major flaws. Are we sure Oregon couldn't beat Michigan and Alabama? They're not even in the discussion because they lost twice to Washington. That would, of course, be an argument if they're matched up with Washington they would lose, and if a team's already lost, not only once but twice when the participants are already in the field, then perhaps they shouldn't be in it. I can listen to that argument, certainly. But let's walk through this. Michigan's offense hasn't looked good, especially the last few weeks against better competition. The O-line is banged up. They have six wins over teams with winning records. That's just where I drew the line. We could say bowl teams. We could talk about all kinds of things, but Another point of discussion is what teams are good, what qualifies as a good win or a good team or strength of schedule, which, by the way, depending on whether you're looking at ESPN or other websites, is all different strength of schedule. Now, Michigan has wins over Ohio State, of course, Penn State, Iowa, Maryland, UNLV, and Bowling Green. All those teams are better than 6-6. You can make your judgment over the quality of teams that you have there. Alabama hasn't looked great on offense either, although they've actually shown improvement throughout the year rather than regressing. They did scrape by Arkansas and Auburn, non-bowl teams. They've got six wins over teams with winning records as well. Georgia, Tennessee, Ole Miss, LSU, Texas A&M, and Kentucky. 
Texas has secondary questions. They scraped by Houston and TCU, who aren't bowl teams, although they did have a backup quarterback in for several games. Their starting running back is out. Xavier Worthy was hurt in the Big 12 Conference Championship game. That could be a serious problem. They've also got six wins over winning teams. Alabama, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Kansas, Iowa State, Wyoming. So again, an argument could be made. They've already beat one team in the field. How would a rematch go? And the argument on the other side is, well, Alabama's much different than they were earlier in the season. Washington has been in nine straight games decided by 10 points or less, and I believe seven of those were actually by single digits, including Arizona State, Washington State, and Stanford, who are not bowl teams. They did beat Oregon twice, though. Oregon State, Arizona, Utah, USC, and Boise State won the Mountain West. That's seven wins over winning teams. So that's got to count for something, right? But how good is that defense really? Georgia's biggest issue is that it lost the SEC championship. They're short some of the elite talent, and by elite, I mean arguably some of the talent that's needed to win a championship every year, but is still top like eight in the country. On the defensive line and skill positions, they're lacking what they had last year, which was the number one team in the country. Yet there isn't more fist-pounding that they should be in the championship game when trying to determine the best team in college football. It's pounding on the table for Florida State. Now, they played Georgia Tech and Auburn to one-possession games. South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Florida, Missouri were within two scores. Their other six games were all blowouts, but five of the six two-score games were against teams that finished 6-6 six and six or worse four wins over winning teams is what they have on the books here. Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Kentucky. So fewer than anyone, but they blew the doors off three of the good teams and played uh, or slept walk against some of the, the weaker opponents. So that's what you'd presume happened. Now, Florida State's defense actually turned out much better than I thought in the metrics. They gave up 12 points per game, down from 18 points per game in the second half of the season after the Duke game. The secondary was originally questionable, but again, the only top 50 passing offense they played with a healthy quarterback was LSU in the opener. They looked bad in every road game. Boston College and Clemson were one-score wins. Pitt was sloppy, and we know uh, about no Jordan Travis in the Florida and Louisville games. Wake Forest was the only blowout, um, so they got that one, I guess. Five wins over winning teams, LSU, Louisville, Clemson, Miami, and Duke. Now, Oregon still has great offensive and defensive metrics, just two field goal losses to Washington, but those two losses mean they only have three wins over teams with winning records on the rest of their schedule. Um, I didn't even put them down, so there's that. I believe it's USC, Utah, and Oregon State. Yeah, I believe those are the three off the top of my head. And Ohio State's greatest flaw is that it just didn't beat Michigan. They have five wins over winning teams, Notre Dame, Penn State, Maryland, Wisconsin, and Western Kentucky. But um, defense is good. Offense is good. It wasn't healthy for most of the year. Quarterback spot is the most questionable area, but they've been healthy for a good part of the season and managed to beat Michigan in what was a relatively close game. A couple bad turnovers determined it. If they'd made it into the playoffs, much like they managed to sneak in last year, could they win the whole thing? Yeah, I think so. 
So really, to me, it isn't just that Florida State got screwed out of the playoffs. It's that realistically, we're trying to find a national champion. And we actually had this year, I think, eight teams that could have won it. Michigan, Alabama, Texas, Washington, Georgia, Florida State, Ohio State, and Oregon that when put into a group of four of any other combination of the others could have won two games against them and won the national championship. I believe that was on the table, including a possible Oregon-Washington round three, including an Ohio State-Michigan round two, and a possible Alabama-Texas round two that we might very well get. That's on the table. Or a Georgia-Alabama round two if we would have gotten that. So at least one of the possible combinations is on, on the table for a rematch. So I don't think it should be looked at as Florida State was screwed. I never had them in my top four power rank the entire season, even with a healthy Jordan Travis. Without a healthy Jordan Travis, I think you had to take that into consideration. I just wish the playoff committee had said that. We are looking for a national champion. It is not that difficult to say, say, see, not that difficult to process. That's what we want, right? To find the best team in college football at the end of the year. Yes, the games have to matter. Yes, you want them to have some weight at the end of the year to make teams feel like they've accomplished something, that they've earned the right to do something, but also you're not the best team. I think the committee did it right. Those are the four teams that should be in it, and I think the four teams that were left out should be just where they are. The 12-team playoff came a year too late for what would have been an excellent bracket, but it just wasn't meant to be. Not yet. Bowl games will obviously be running for the next month or so, but the brackets for Bulls pickums and selections are open now. So let's run through your Bull TV watch guide because they start this Saturday the 16th as we transition to a full slate of college basketball highlighted by uh, Arizona and Purdue in the afternoon. But for bowl games... We do have an 11 a.m. the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Georgia Southern 6-6, six and six, and they're playing 9-3 Miami of Ohio of the uh, MAC conference there on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. Georgia Southern's 3.5-point favorites with a 48.5-point over-under here. Good passing quarterback here in Davis Brin for Georgia Southern. 22 touchdowns and 16 picks, 3,400 yards on the season. Miami of Ohio, of course, had a great record this year in the MAC Conference. However, they have several guys in the transfer portal, including stud quarterback Curtis Rorke, and I believe some running backs as well. So it may be a struggle for them to uh, to come out ahead in this particular ball game. Um, they have a decent defense, but uh, Georgia Southern, as far as I know, doesn't have any major pieces in the in the transfer portal or anything like that. Uh, so this could be a, a difficult game for them to to survive. And perhaps this is time for the um, PSA as far as bowl games are concerned. Let's keep in mind how weird they are. They are two to four weeks to five weeks after the end of the regular season. So your practice structure is all out of sorts. Some guys or some coaches have taken other jobs or players are in the transfer portal or getting ready for the NFL. Some guys are coming back from injury. Some guys may get re-injured. You have the normal family stuff for holidays and completing finals and seasonal illnesses. All these games are away games. 
and they have their own festivals and setups. So it's not unknown, you know, it's not uncommon, um, an unknown fact that some guys come show up these games out of shape, um, from the festivities or because these games are all weird times and all different days of the week. And they're used to playing every Saturday for several months in a row. Um, so they're just very strange circumstances between sicknesses and finals and holidays and weird practice schedules and weird lineups. And are your, is your coaching staff here and all being in neutral site or away games and different festivities and different lines of focus and different times of the day. And, uh, they're just a crapshoot, which makes them fun and sometimes difficult viewing. So you never know for sure what you're going to get. It could be a mixed bag, but, um, yeah, so there's going to be a lot of, lot of weird circumstances and stuff going on. Now at 2.15 that day, Louisiana 6-6, six and six, they're hosting Jacksonville State, who's 8-4 and four in the New Orleans Bowl in New Orleans. That's on ESPN, ESPN Plus, Jacksonville State making a bowl game. Uh, they weren't originally eligible, but not enough teams actually qualified, so they able to were able to slide in there as they should. Um, they're favored by two and a half with the 59 and a half point over under. I think they'd be favorites there over the Ragin' Cajuns. At 3.30, Appalachian State is hosting Miami of Ohio in the Mexican Cure Bowl. Appalachian State six and a half point favorites despite the fact that Miami of Ohio won the MAC. Appalachian State were runners up in the Sunbelt Conference, so there's kind of your gauge there. 44.5 point over-under. Miami of Ohio has multiple quarterbacks out in this game, though. Injury, transfer portal, so they're down some guys here. Certainly, Appalachian State's defense hasn't been as good, but the run game's been generally where you can take advantage, and that might be where they have to go. Um, but their quarterback, Aguilar, 33 touchdowns, 9 picks on the year, 3,500 yards. Um, yeah, you can see why they are the favorite in that particular game. 545, the New Mexico Bowl actually has New Mexico State in it. They're 10 and 4. They're playing Fresno State, who was 8 and 4 and kind of fell apart down the stretch of their uh, games there. I think they've got uh, some people out. I could be wrong. Um, three and a half point favorites are New Mexico State. After being runners up in the conference, USA Jerry Kill will have his squad ready to go there. They do like to run the football. 51.5 point over under 3.5 points is the line. 7.30, we get some bigger names on the board in the L.A. Bowl. Uh, four points going UCLA's way. They are 7-5 and five this season. Boise State's 8-5 and five and won the Mountain West, of course. This is on uh, ABC. 49.5 point over under. Of course, Boise State, uh, quarterback in the transfer portal, intern coach there again. Um, just some, some shifting going on there for the uh, Broncos. UCLA has Dante Moore in the transfer portal and some guys as well. So shifting going on with both of these these rosters, uh, of course, there's some questionability about whether Chip Kelly would still be there at uh, UCLA as well. Um, I think it's going to be uh, still strong on the defensive side for UCLA. Boise State might struggle to move the ball. I can see why it's um, four points their way. It might be one of those where um, uh, a decent uh, at least conference championship winning not a power non-power five team gets matched up against a middle name power five team and gets a chance for a big win, but can't quite come up with it. And at 915, we get the Independence Bowl. 
Texas Tech is six and six. They're hosting Cal, who's six and six. I shouldn't say hosting. It's in a Shreveport, Louisiana. 45 degrees, unfamiliar territory for these two schools. Three points going Texas Tech way with a 57 and a half point over under. We're going to have backups. Uh, I believe both quarterbacks in for here. More transfer portal stuff going on. Um, not sure about this one. This could very well be a uh, coin flip game in this particular instance. Now, realistically, what's the watchability of these bowl games? Uh, I would say Ohio State, Georgia Southern, if we're going watchable, channel flipper, or unwatchable. Ohio, Georgia Southern, I think is worth a channel flip. Could be brutal. Could see uh, some points here. I know it's a 48 and a half point over under Georgia Southern. I think can throw the ball a bit, but a borderlines, um, an unwatchable game. Louisiana, Jacksonville State, I don't think is going to be particularly interesting. I would say it's near unwatchable. Miami of Ohio and Appalachian State. I kind of want to see what App State can do. Um, Miami of Ohio has multiple quarterbacks, though. This might be a channel flipper. Fresno State, New Mexico State. New Mexico State's had a great year. I believe their top wide receivers transferring out, though, which is a problem if you're a high performer at a non-power five. You're in the transfer portal right now trying to get to a better school. This is a channel flipper for me. Boise State, UCLA is borderline unwatchable. Um, it's a channel flipper for me, just with the guys that are out. in Texas Tech, Cal, uh couple six and six teams. I guess this will be a channel flipper for me as well, um, just because it's first day of bowl games, more or less. But if uh, some of the college basketball games end up a little better, some of these will get shoved right off my radar. Monday the 18th, we'll pick up with the uh, 2.30 in the afternoon famous toastery bowl. I don't recall that one in Charlotte, North Carolina. Old Dominion six and six, Western Kentucky seven and five. This will, of course, be on ESPN. Old Dominion's favored by two and a half, 54 and a half point over under. I believe this is because Austin Reed is in question. Um, he said he was going to enter the transfer portal last year and then didn't and then played in the bowl game. I don't know if that'll happen again, of course. Um, Western Kentucky can certainly operate a good offense uh, when he's in there. Otherwise, maybe it goes Old Dominion's way. Uh, but again, this is a 2.30 in the afternoon. It's not like you're going to have an opportunity to, to watch it unless you have time off from work or able to work from home um, and have a lull in the day or a lunch break or something. Um, but that is, you know, a game that you have an option to uh, to have on in the in the background of your day if, if you have that opportunity. Um, Tuesday, the 19th, we have a standalone game and it's a good one, but it's not on till nine o'clock. Of course, these are Eastern Time ESPN uh, UTSA is eight and four, and they're playing six and six Marshall in the Frisco Bowl. Actually, it's the Scooters Coffee Frisco Bowl in Frisco, Texas. Um, the over/unders fifty-two and a half. UTSA is thirteen-point favorites, and it's too bad that they're playing um, a team of a lower caliber. Quite frank, fr frankly, uh, speaking of frankly, Frank Harris, the top quarterback here for UTSA, um, he's had some guys banged up throughout the season. This was supposed to be a top roster that lost to Tulane and didn't make the American Conference Championship game. They were banged up in the non-conference schedule early, and he missed a few games, but he's got all the passing records for the Roadrunners. He's played like six years in college football. Um, I don't think he has any eligibility left. I don't think he's in the transfer portal. I believe he's playing... In this game, he had a big uh, standing ovation in the crowd for his home finale, so I believe that's it, uh, and he should be in this game. Uh, Marshall, not really a worthy opponent, um, so if you want to see him fire up one more time, I don't think they have any notable pieces missing. 
um, and they'll be heavy favorites late on Tuesday, the 19th. This, to me, is a channel flipper. Now, Thursday, we have nothing on a Wednesday, the 20th. Thursday, the 21st, we have another standalone game. 8 o'clock at night, the Bacoratin, Bacoration, uh, the RoofClaim.com Bacoratin Bowl. I'm going to say that all wrong, but RoofClaim.com, don't you forget that. Syracuse is 6-6, six and six, South Florida 6-6. Six and six. We're still on ESPN. Um, Syracuse is favored by three. It's a 60 and a half point over under. Uh, these two teams, South Florida, lucky to make a bowl game. Well, Syracuse was as well. They've been banged up all season. Uh, South Florida, I'm interested in their quarterback. Uh, they did finish in the upper half, actually, of the American Conference, which was certainly weak this year. But their quarterback by the name of Byron Brown looked Interesting, at least. 23 touchdowns, 11 picks, 64% completion percentage, 3,000 yards. It didn't always look great, but I think the offensive line really sucked. He had 745 rushing yards and 11 touchdowns on the ground. This was a two-win team last year that was really bad, and um, I, I think there's something there with him. So this isn't going to be an awesome game, Channel Flipper. Um, if for no other reason than to keep an eye on him, but it might be a gross game. Is as well. Friday the twenty uh, second gives us a six thirty game. UCF and Georgia Tech, couple of six and sixers there in the Gasparilla Bowl, sponsored by Union Home Mortgage this year. Central Florida's four and a half point favorite, sixty four and a half point over under. Last I checked, Central Florida still had an atrocious defense and a pretty fired up offense. They had to win um, a bunch of their last few games to make a, a, a bowl game here. Three of their last four, including a huge thumping uh, of Oklahoma State, 45-3. to So they certainly looked better towards the back end of the year. Georgia Tech, shocking to make it here as well um, with uh, a number of wins three of their last five in order to make it here, including a big win over North Carolina and a nice showing against Georgia to end the season as well. Uh, there's some talent on both of these teams. There's some deficiencies on both of these teams. This is watchable to me, quite frankly, at, at 6.30 as you're uh, prepping dinner on the East Coast, um, maybe trickling out of work on the West or in between. Uh, I think this is going to be an interesting game uh, for those uh, members of these squads moving forward. I don't think there's a lot of transfers or anything here. These are rebuilding programs anyways, and no one's really going pro off these rosters. So I think these are going to be, as far as I know, mostly intact um, moving forward for this bowl game. Saturday, the 23rd, heading towards the Christmas holiday, will give us seven games. And um, they're not uh, the healthiest slate. We do have the Birmingham Bowl, Duke seven and five, and Troy eleven and two at noon on ABC. Troy's favored by eight, 45, 44.5 over under at the moment. That is because Duke's quarterback is gone. Duke's coach is gone. Duke's got a lot of shuffling going on. Um, it would have been fun if um, they had more pieces in place, but. Troy, uh, Sunbelt winner, looking like a good team, playing at least a, a mid-level Power 5 team would have been a good matchup, but as it is, Duke is in transition. So, um, Troy favored heavily, well-coached team, good team. This is still a watchable game in my approximation. We'll have, a, a, again, a full slate of college basketball going on as well, but this is certainly one worth keeping 
on the radar. Also at noon, 6 and 6 Northern Illinois and 6 and 6 Arkansas State at the Camellia Bowl. Uh, Arkansas State favored by one. They looked horrible to start the season, made a bowl, as did NI, uh, 53.5 point over under. I don't have a lot of excitement for that. I don't think it's a real watchable game. 330 brings the Armed Forces Bowl. Air Force is 8-4 and four and tumble to end the season, but is a good team. They're playing an 11-1 James Madison squad, which of course squeezed its way into a bowl and we didn't have enough candidates. This one's also on ABC. James Madison favored by 3. 41.5 point over under. Not surprising. Going to be a lot of defense and probably a fairly quick game, all things considered. Uh, I'd say it'd be great to watch um, James Madison go to work here, but uh, I'm not sure there's going to be a whole lot of, of stuff going on here with the limited Air Force, um, Armed Forces playbook. So still a um, channel flipper, I think, and that slots also at 3.30, Utah State and Georgia State, couple six and six teams out of the uh, Mountain West and Conference USA, I believe. Idaho Potato Bowl, Utah State favored by one, 61.5 point over under, uh, ESPN, of course, Utah State won three of its last four to become bowl eligible, and Georgia State lost five straight to end the season. So there you go. A couple of teams for you. Not a watchable game for me personally. Neither is the 7 o'clock Eastern Michigan, South Alabama, a couple 6-6 six and six teams in the Venture Bowl. UTS, or excuse me, USA. Uh, Southern Alabama is favored by 16 points with a 46.5 point over-under. That's one of the bigger spreads in the Bulls. 7.30, however, Northwestern 7-5, shocking. Utah's 8-4, almost um, not exactly shocking, but shocking that they're similar in record. Now, Utah's favored by a touchdown here in the Las Vegas Bowl with a 41.5 point over-under, so not expecting a lot of points. Now, Northwestern's been somewhat, oh God, I dare say, I don't want to say efficient, but they've been good at what they've been doing. They won three straight games to end the season at Wisconsin, home against Purdue, at Illinois. They won four of their last five. The only loss was a close one to uh, Iowa. Uh, they seem to be an okay football team, and I, I, that's just, they're not, they're not good. But they managed to do what they need to against bad teams, and Utah has no offense um, it looked like Bryson, um, Byron Bryson, uh, the quarterback there was settling in, but, um, only against bad defenses and it just hasn't been real great for them. So I think this could be a watchable game at Allegiant stadium in Las Vegas. What a horrible, what a great venue for a horrible couple of teams. Uh, 10 30 San Jose state and coastal Carolina, a couple seven and fivers there, San Jose state is uh, favored by 10. Grayson McCall, I believe, is entering the transfer portal. I can't believe he has eligibility left, but uh, without him, uh, Coastal Carolina is kind of a shell, quite frankly. 53.5 point over under. Uh, the quarterback there for San Jose State has looked pretty good this year. It's surprising they've won as many games as they did, but they won seven straight, six straight to win the year. Uh, Shivian Cordelio, I did not say that right. Um, had a great finish to the season uh, after starting one and five with a tough schedule there. They really rattled off a lot of wins in the end there. That's a really good 
coached uh, San Jose team. I think that's their second winning season in the past three years, and the Chanticleers lost a couple uh, to end the season there. So it'd be really great. Uh, Grace McCall headed to NC State. That's the news there. So San Jose State's heavily favored and heavily motivated to come out with a big win in the Hawaii Bowl late on Saturday the 23rd. Now heading into post-Christmas, we skip to Tuesday the 26th, and we have three games on the slate. The Quick Lane Bowl will be played at 2 o'clock. 5-7 and seven, Minnesota is the only team with a losing record to make it to a bowl game. They'll be playing 7-5 and five Bowling Green. Go figure the matchup. Uh, Bowling Green, you know, hoping to uh, to get a chance for a win here. And they're underdogs by three and a half because they play a power five team. Probably not uh, figured to be as physical, have the bodies. Um, Minnesota's quarterback is transferring out. I don't even know who's going to play for the Gophers to be sure. Um, this is not a real watchable game for me. Uh, this is in the Ford Field, uh, Detroit, uh, for the quick lane bowl there. And it's not a very good matchup. 38 and a half point over under. 530. Rice and Texas State. Rice got out to 6-6 six and six and made a bowl game, thanks in part to former USC Trojan, former Georgia Bulldog, former West Virginia Mountaineer, Mr. JT Daniels. However, he is retiring due to too many concussions, so he will not even play in the bowl game. His career is over effective immediately, which is too bad considering he's playing in the first responder bowl which is horribly ironic. The uh, Texas State Cats, Wildcats, are a 7-5 quarterback by T.J. Finley, who played at the Power 5 level. He's been very good for them. They're favored by four points with a 16.5 point over under there in Dallas. And um, uh, clearly the favorites, I'd expect them to, to hit that. 9 o'clock, the guaranteed rate bowl should be interesting. Um, Kansas is favored by 12.5 over UNLV, 8-4 and four and 9-4 and four are the record, 64.5 point over under. I don't know if Jaden Daniels is going to play. He could win the Heisman next year or be in the running, be a, be a candidate talked about in the preseason. Uh, only played a handful of games this year before sitting out due to back spasms. Uh, Jason Bean was the backup, but he's been there several years. I don't know who's going to quarterback this team, but clearly be a power five bodies and a well-coached staff. UNLV outclassed by Boise State, who had its own problems this year. You can see why Kansas is almost a two-touchdown favorite. Uh, it'd be nice if UNLV was able to put up a bit of a fight here in their neck of the woods in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. But uh, Kansas State going to be a heavy, heavy favorite. Both of these games are um, Texas State and Rice. Kansas, UNLV, I think are both channel flippers for now. Uh, for me. Uh, Wednesday, December 27th, we get a little juicier. Four games on the slate. Tulane, 11-2, playing Virginia Tech, who's a crappy 6-6, six six, quite frankly. It's too bad Tulane couldn't get a better draw. However, they have been poking around, barely getting by some crappy American Conference teams, so they're not a sure thing to win this. In fact, they're eight-point underdogs with a 46.5-point over-under. I'm not sure if there are guys sitting out of this. I don't have information on this, but there's no faith in Tulane, that's for sure. Uh, Two o'clock in the afternoon, ESPN. Um, presumably everyone's back to work by then, so I'm not sure if everyone will get, get a chance to uh, keep an eye on this one. 
there must be people out on this game. I'm not sure about the intel on this, but Virginia Tech heavily favored over Tulane, who again struggled to finish out the uh, the regular season. Michael Pratt, you'd think, would keep them afloat. Their great quarterback there has been there several years, but um, something's going on with that line there. 5.30, though, West Virginia, their coach isn't fired. No, no, they're 8-4, and four, as is North Carolina, disappointingly, for the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. And West Virginia's favored by five and a half with a 55 and a half point over under. I believe the assumption is Drake May is going to sit out for this. He officially declared for the draft. I assume Amar Hampton is going to play. Maybe not. Um, almost 1,500 yards this year and 15 rushing touchdowns. He might be sitting out as well. The top receiver, Walker, might be out. We might see all the top uh, offensive players out from North Carolina. And, um, they don't play a whole lot of defense, which looked good to start the season. So um might be tough for them to win this game. The Mountaineers were third in rushing in this past season, third in rushing offense. Over 31 rushing touchdowns and 28 rushing yards on the season for five yards, over five yards per carry. Eight o'clock, the Holiday Bowl. Louisville's 10 and 3, USC 7 and 5, 8 o'clock on Fox. Now Louisville's favored by 7 and a half, 57 and a half point over under. Another game sour because Caleb Williams will be out, presumably a few other bodies. Terribly disappointing. I'm not even entirely certain who the backup is. Another top prospect, I would hope. So this game could be a bit of a drag. I mean, quite frankly, we know no Caleb Williams and no gas for for USC. So this game might be a channel flipper. West Virginia, North Carolina would be a channel flipper. And um, Tulane, Virginia Tech, quite frankly, um, might be a channel flipper as well. There's no must-watch games in this other than the 9 o'clock. Now, Oklahoma State's 9-4, and four, Texas A&M. 7-5, and five, ESPN, the Texas Bowl, and uh, Texas A&M favored by 3, 53.5 point over-under. We got coaching changes here at Texas A&M. Uh, not even sure who's going to pilot at quarterback. We got a few transfers, but there's still talent there for Texas A&M. We're going to see next season. There's been talent. Um, I think Gordon is still going to run for Oklahoma State. Um, Presley, the top um, receiver, Bowman at quarterback, some of the defensive guys. I think we're still in good shape for the most part um, for the changes and the things that have gone on here, um, guys that could uh, turn pro. I think we're still going to see a lot of bodies in this game. I think it's still going to be a good game. And uh, moving forward, I think both these teams project to be in good shape. So we may actually get a preview here, um, even if guys do sit out, of people that have potential to be impact players for next season. So Texas A&M, Oklahoma State, 9 o'clock on the 27th watchable, watchable game. The 28th Thursday brings us a nice four-pack of games that may or may not be interesting. 11 a.m. is the start time, though, Eastern time for the Wasabi Fenway Bowl. Uh, 24th ranked SMU's 11 and 2 won the American Conference out of kind of nowhere, and they're playing Boston College, who is 6 and 6. They're favored by double digits. The defense is good. The offense is running pretty well. Avery Johnson, the backup quarterback, will be piloting uh, since the starting quarterback Preston Stone busted up his leg pretty bad. Uh, Boston College lucky to limp into a game, so we get a 
a high-profile non-Power 5 team versus a not-very-good uh, Power 5 squad here. Uh, 50 and a half point over under here. Uh, SMU might just run them right over. Um, this might be a channel flipper game until it gets out of hand, but SMU should have this right in hand. 215 has Miami at 7-5 and five and Rutgers at 6-6 six and six in the bad boy mowers pinstripe bowl. Miami favored by a point despite the fact that their quarterback is gone. Uh, Mr. Van Dyke has already transferred out to Wisconsin, which will be an interesting landing spot for him. 41.5 point over under. We're expecting defense here. Uh, the freshman Emery Williams, I assume, will be quarterback for Miami. I also think they might bring a new transfer in, so not sure that he's necessarily going to be the future there. But um, yeah, we'll get some defense here. This to me is not uh, not going to be. Uh, this might be an unwatchable game. Not going to be a whole lot going on here, in my estimation. Uh, Five forty-five. We'll have number twenty-five Kansas State at eight and four, and number eighteen NC State at nine and three. In the Pop Tarts Bowl, we're supposed to have an edible mascot for this game um, in Orlando, 47 and a half point over under three point line. Uh, this would be a little bit more exciting. Um, Will Howard is already transferring out for Kansas state. Uh, Chishan Ward, the top running back is going to be out. A couple of top guys in the secondary will Lee and Kobe Savage as well. So lots of pieces for Kansas state are gone. They could really take a step back next year. The uh, freshman quarterback, though, Avery Johnson, I assume, will be starting, and uh, he looked like a lot of fun in the games that he played in, the ability to certainly scramble around, so that could be interesting. NC State thrived on their defense, obviously. Um, MJ Morris uh, redshirted and then transferred, so he played the four games that he could without burning his redshirt and then left. Uh, Brandon Armstrong was not very good this season, but I assume he'll be playing out the rest of his eligibility here. It's not like he has high uh, NFL hopes or any at this particular point. Transferring over from uh, Virginia, which did not go well for him last year. And um, there's some guys uh, sitting out for them as well. The receiver Terrell Timmons and um, some other guys. So top guys on the defensive side as well. So there'll be a lot of opt-outs here. Uh, these are still two well-coached teams, and we could have at least an interesting quarterback on Kansas State side. Still a channel flipper to me, and it might be interesting just to see what the setup is for the Pop-Tart Bowl with the supposedly edible mascot at the end. Um, 915, a little more interesting, the Alamo Bowl. Uh, Oklahoma, 10-2, and two, Arizona 9-3. and three. Uh, they're ranked 12th and 14th uh, with the AP poll. Not that the rankings matters much at the at the moment, uh, once the season's kind of wrapped up here. But Arizona is a three-point favorite, 62.5 point over under. Gillen, De uh, Gillen Dylan Gabriel, there we go, has already transferred out. Um, it was kind of a well-known thing. He'd be moving on to Oregon. At least that was a possibility. Of course, sitting in the wings there was a freshman they're all very excited about, and I'm not talking about John David Booty. I'm talking about Jackson Arnold, who looked good in his appearances last year. So we should get to see him in this game, as well as Noah Fifta again, who took over the redshirt freshman for Arizona. So we should get to see two great young quarterbacks moving into next season 
um, playing in this game here. I'm not sure if McMillan, the top receiver for Arizona, will be playing. He'll definitely be in the NFL as well as their uh, secondary guy, Jacob Cowing. Those two um, might might play, might not. But still, we're going to see two young quarterbacks, two young teams still on the rise. I know it's strange to say that about Oklahoma, but still with the newer staff in place there. And Oklahoma obviously moving to the SEC next season. Arizona moving to, oh geez, whatever conference they're moving to now with all the changes and shifting and realignment. But this will be one of the best bowl games, quite frankly, even with a few few guys moving on to the NFL and a few transfers. We still get uh, two high-powered teams here. This is one of the top watches. Unfortunately, it's at 9.15 on a Thursday, December 28th, but this is going to be one of the top bowl games on the slate. Friday the 29th is another quartet. Starting at noon, we get Kentucky, who finished 7-5, and five, and Clemson, who finished 8-4, and four, and 27th, 22nd in the top 25 in the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Clemson favored by four points with a 46.5 over-under. Not a lot of offense expected in this one. Let's not forget Clemson. Now, for the second time in three years, did not make the ACC championship game. Nowhere near the playoffs. You have to wonder, you know, what kind of changes Debo's going to make here. Is he finally going to use the transfer portal? Is that going to make a big difference for them? They won four straight to finish the season over Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, and South Carolina. So not, um, I mean, kind of so-so there. Um, North Carolina's no slouch, and Georgia Tech and North Carolina made bowl games, but nothing to really, you know, get too excited about. Cade Klubnik was fine, but this team was horrible executing in the red zone, in part because of some of his decisions. Uh, Kentucky just disappeared down the stretch there after being ranked in the top 25. They lost, let's see, five of their last seven games. Just atrocious. So kind of a gross game here. Um, Clemson trying to crawl out, um, and they're going to have to do it against a, a Kentucky team that's really, really suffered. I don't have a lot of transfers or opt-outs for this game. Um, should see two intact rosters, so that alone I think makes it at least a channel flipper. I'm going to call it a watchable game to see if Clemson can hang in noon on Friday if you have the opportunity, December 29th. The 2 o'clock game, the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, on CBS, because most of these are going to be, again, on the ESPN networks, but CBS is going to grab the Sun Bowl. Notre Dame's favored by 6.5 with a 42.5 point over under. The uh, Notre Dame Irish finished 16th in the AP poll. They're 9-3. and three. Oregon State, 8-4 and four and ranked 19th. But we got a whole bunch of guys sitting out for uh, this game. Of course, Oregon State's going through staffing changes. Uh, top two quarterbacks are out. Um, Childies, I believe it's pronounced, uh, is already committed to Michigan State. DJ Ungale in the transfer portal. Um, number of guys uh, in question there. Notre Dame's Sam Hartman and some of the offensive linemen already opted out of the game. A uh, dozen guys in the transfer portal. Some of them being um, key contributors. Uh, Rico Flores, Holden stays. Uh, so there's a bunch of Guys, they're going to be out for this game. You're going to see the numbers next to the name and think, wow, a nice ranked bull matchup in the middle of the afternoon. Maybe I can uh, get some eyes on it and you might be a little displeased with what you see. So this one's going to be a channel flipper, but unfortunately with all the um, guys moving around and in flux with Notre Dame there, you do have to kind of wonder 
about the uh, staff and what's what's going on there, what they're even going to look like next year. Uh, I know you can pretty much pencil this this Notre Dame team in for eight plus wins every year, but um, I don't I don't know. There's just something something weird about the uh, coaching staff here, and now that Brian Kelly's left and um, Oregon in flux, Oregon State in flux, so not as good of a ball game as it looks on paper. Three thirty though, Iowa State. Managed to make a bowl at 7-5. Memphis at 9-3 fell out of the American Conference race late, but they're playing each other in the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. Iowa State's favored by a massive 8.5, and, and they're playing in Memphis, Tennessee for this game. 57.5 point over under. We know Memphis, big play, um, hits big, big play offense. Uh, Seth Hinnigan uh, for Memphis there, over 3,500 yards. On the season, the defense has got real problems, though. We saw Iowa State score on, what was it, five 60-plus yard single plays alone against Kansas State on the road in the snow in the season finale, so we know they have that potential. The running back, Abu Sama third, has been really productive for them. They have a couple running backs in the transfer portal because of his production, and I don't think we have a whole lot of sit-downs or opt-outs that are known at this time from either team at the moment other than than some of the running back depth at Iowa State. So this should be a, a quality football game. Should have a little bit of uh, offense here in the afternoon on December 29th. This is a watchable football game to me. A nice uh, power five, middle of the road power five opponent against one of the higher end non-power five teams, even if they don't play a whole lot of a lot of defense. At 8 o'clock, the night game, Ohio State and Missouri, they finished 7th and 9th, respectively, in the AP poll, 11-1 and 10-2. and They're in the Cotton Bowl. Missouri's favored by 2.5, 48.5 point over-under. Another game here you're going to be watching, but uh, Ohio State, man, Kyle McCord in the transfer portal, if you've watched any piece of him at this point this year, you're like, man, something's missing with the offense and um you know the starters have been have been missing and banged up uh the quarterback hasn't quite looked right Kyle McCord just can't place a great ball you know was my analysis um and uh now he's gone he's gone so he's entering the transfer portal we'll have uh I don't know if it's Brown backing him up, the guy who originally pushed him for the starting position, but somehow even in McCord's struggles, he did not uh, get benched, so that's questionable. Um, I imagine we'll have guys sitting out for the NFL draft as well. Marvin Harrison Jr., maybe some of the running backs. Uh, Julian Fleming, the number three receiver technically, is in the transfer portal as well. And Chip Tramion, um, the number three running back, depending on the depth chart there, so... We could have like half of the offensive starters or more sitting out for Ohio State. Now, they still have quality depth there, um, but even with transfers coming in and recruits, that doesn't mean that you're going to see, you know, into the future for next year. What does the offense going to look like next year? You're just going to see some weird mismatch of whoever's available on the roster because they're going to make changes before hitting the field next season. So. In Missouri, a great 10-2 year. They played uh, Georgia pretty good on the road there. Had an opportunity to not win late, but certainly uh, pull closer. Lost to LSU after leading at home uh, by 10, so great games there. Some good wins uh, against Kansas State as well. Kentucky, Tennessee, 
They've been good on both sides of the football this year, really an underrated team. Obviously, they're ranked in the top 10, and Ohio State's got guys sitting out on both sides of the football or entering the transfer portal, then it's possible that Missouri just kind of eventually runs away with this one. So you'll have eyes on it because it's two top 10 teams, but it's possible that uh, Ohio State is just left with a shell of a roster. Now, moving on to Saturday, December 30th, we're getting closer to playoffs. We have another four-pack of games starting at noon. And again, we're competing with college basketball at this point, but we'll have number 11, Old Miss at 10-2, and two, and number 10, Penn State at 10-2 and two in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Penn State favored by 3.5, 48.5 point over under. We'll see an offense from Old Miss, presumably, and defense from Penn State. At least um, Old Miss's offense is ahead of its defense, and Penn State's defense is ahead of its offense. So what will we get from this game here? Uh, Jackson Dart, I assume, will be playing for Old Miss. That seems to be the case. Uh, Quinton Judkins is a true sophomore running back for sophomore. Or a true sophomore running back for Old Miss, I do believe. He's been super productive when he hasn't been banged up, so he should be in this bowl game. He's not sitting out for anything and not transferring. Over 1,000 yards and 15 touchdowns this year, which is down from last season when he was fully healthy and splitting carries. He's still an underrated running back in uh, nationally, not just in the SEC nationally. So I think Ole Miss is going to be pretty healthy here, uh, especially their contributors. They're going to have some guys in the transfer portal too. Um, Penn State's Allager has really struggled. It'd be nice if you know he showed improvement next year. You don't want to see these high-recruited four- or five-star quarterback struggle, and the Big Ten could use some quality quarterback play. My God. I mean, how many 14 teams you get past one, two, three, and you drop off to below average quarterback play at the starter starting quarterback position. That's pretty atrocious. Um, so it'd be nice for him to uh, to step up. This would be an opportunity about a month of planning for him to get ready for this bowl game. The defense is good. Um, not a lot of opt outs again. Probably some guys sitting out for the NFL. This would be a really good ball game. Penn State favor doesn't quite seem right to me. Um, I tend to favor the uh, ability for Old Miss to execute in Lane Kiffin over uh, what Penn State's kind of ineptitude at, at offense at times. But that'll be a great ball game at noon to start the day off on Saturday, December 30th. Two o'clock, we'll have Maryland and Auburn. A little bit of a drop off there in the Music City Bowl. Auburn's favored by two and a half. They finished the season six and six. Maryland seven and five, 49 and a half point over under. Um, I don't know what to say about these two teams. Maryland beats the bad teams and um, Auburn played some, played a lot of teams tough, quite frankly, played Georgia and Alabama close. Of course, had the opportunity to beat Alabama and could not do it. Um, Hugh Freeze is going to have Auburn turn around real quick. They had a four-game losing streak in the middle of the season to Texas A&M, Georgia, LSU, and Old Miss, and they lost the last two games of the season to Alabama and New Mexico State, shockingly. Um, had some winning streaks in there as well, and uh, he's going to have them turned around real quick. But this team, I mean, he's going to be bringing in new pieces on the offense because they suck. Maryland, on the other hand, um, I don't know if Tulia Tegaloa is going to be playing at quarterback or not. And that matters very much for this game. Uh, they lost four in a row in the middle of the season altogether. It was five of seven at the end of the season that they lost. And um, this seems to be a well-coached team that just doesn't have a whole lot of talent, quite frankly. Then 
at four o'clock, we got the big one, Florida State and Georgia in the Orange Bowl on ESPN. Georgia favored by two touchdowns, 44.5 point over under. Look, this game has nothing much to do with talent. It's how motivated are these teams going to be. Florida State obviously has offensive problems. Jordan Travis is out. A couple backups have played. We expect a lot out of the uh, guy that's going to be coming in there. But they have a number of uh, transfers out. Um, I don't know if the motivation is going to be high. The press conferences, both coaches look like they wanted to punch a wall. Neither one wanted to be there. Neither one expected to be in the Orange Bowl and not in the playoffs. Both pretty disappointed. I'm not sure that uh, a month's time is going to change that. Perhaps Norvell rallies his guys and says, let's finish undefeated. I tend to think that's what's going to happen. But I don't know that Keon Coleman is going to want to play in this or Trey Benson or some of the guys on that defensive line. Um, if they're playing in the NFL. So I don't really know what that means for this particular game. Uh, the backup quarterback, Tate Rodemaker, will be in, and he didn't look very spectacular, quite frankly, in the games that he's played, in my opinion. Georgia's got guys in the transfer portal. They don't care. They didn't even win the SEC title. No national championship, no playoff participation, no SEC championship, nothing spectacular for them. Carson Beck uh, can go to the NFL if he wants. He may or may not play in this game. Um, uh, who knows, quite frankly, with Georgia's roster. But they're not particularly motivated to play Florida State without a starting, true starting quarterback. So 14 seems high. Um, but depending on how motivated Georgia is, maybe it's not enough. So who really knows? 44.5 point over under indicates Florida State is not going to score much at all in this game. So watchable, yes. Will you be excited to do so? Maybe not. 4.30 on the CW or uh, Barstool as well. This is Barstool's um, bowl uh, in Tucson, Arizona. They uh, will have Toledo and Wyoming, which actually might be the better ball game until I realized Daquan Finn is out, but it still might be the better ball game. Daquan Finn, the starting quarterback for Toledo. Oh, I had that in my notes and I forgot. Otherwise, it'd be a great football game. Not sure about the, the backup there for the Rockets. They finished 11-2, and lost, uh, were upset in the MAC Conference Championship game, but still a good ball club. Wyoming, a well-coached, good football team as well from the Mountain West. They're actually favored by three points with a 44.5 point over-under. Probably a lot of defense in this one. Still going to be a good football game. So, a lot of questions on this particular slate for Saturday, December 30th. Old Miss, Penn State again. Should be a good game. Auburn, Maryland. Uh, a lot of questions for both of those teams. Georgia, Florida State. How many players are actually going to play in Toledo, Wyoming? Lots of defense. Might actually end up one of the better games on the slate. January 1st. Here we go. This is it. Your final five games. Noon starts us off with LSU and Wisconsin. The Badgers had a tough year, 7-5. and five. Things hopefully will be better next season for this group. They'll bring in a new quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke, next year. LSU, I don't think Jaden Daniels will be playing in this. He'll be looking for the NFL. Uh, Musburger, I believe, is the backup, and he's been around and taking some snaps, so we'll get to see him. He'll presumably be the starter next year. They won't be bringing in a transfer. This is the Reliquest Bowl. LSU's favored by 8.5, probably because they have competent starters in place. 
Um, Malik Neighbors, I assume, will be out. The secondary is still a question for LSU, which has been the problem the entire season. 55.5 point over under. I would think uh, Wisconsin, not sure what's going on with the quarterback position or some of the guys that may be out for this one. LSU uh, might have a, a field day here, quite frankly. But uh, Wisconsin trying to put some points up with whoever will be piloting the offense here. 1 o'clock on ESPN. We will have a terrible matchup in the Fiesta Bowl, unfortunately, as number 8 Oregon at 11-2 and two gets Liberty, who's ranked 23rd and 13-0. and 0. It would be great to see Liberty literally play anyone else. But unfortunately, the top-ranked Power 5 team, non-Power 5 team here, gets the uh, Fiesta Bowl. And um, Liberty, just not not a high-quality opponent this year. Would have been better to see Oregon play maybe an SMU, who they still would have hammered, quite frankly. Um, just a tough, tough matchup. Again, Oregon, I think a team that would have had at least a, a shot in the playoffs or is at least one of the top teams not that far off from whoever could win the eventual title. The line is 17 and a half right now. Lots of points expected in this one. Keldon Salters is the quarterback for the Liberty Flames. Great runner of the football as well as a decent passer. Quentin Cooley, great running back as well for the Flames. 302.9 rushing yards per game for this offense. 40 points per game. So just a lot of offense expected, but it's entirely possible that Oregon just bludgeons them. Um, that's certainly on the table. So we'll see how good Oregon's defense is. If they're able to shut down this rushing attack, then it'll be an ugly, ugly game. Also at 1 o'clock, on the opposite side of things, guess who you get? A 36.5 point over-under with an 8.5 point line leading Tennessee's way when they play Iowa in the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. Um, Tennessee's got the number 21 by their name, Iowa 17. But as we know, the Hawkeyes' offense has been atrocious. Quarterback's been a question mark. And, um, yeah, not a whole lot to say about the Iowa Hawkeyes, who will be undergoing a new uh, transformation on offense maybe next season. Tennessee, I think Joe Milton will be in. I think a lot of the guys will be in. Really disappointing season. They didn't have many good wins despite going 8-4. and four. They really weren't in the conversation for much of anything. They had a good uh, run game this year, pretty good defense overall. Um, 13th in the country in rushing is what they ended up. They lost two of their final three games, which were big ones against Missouri and Georgia. They lost to Alabama. They had a trip up to uh, Florida as well, which meant their only big wins were against Texas A&M, I guess, on the road to Kentucky which in the grand scheme of things were not that great. So just a team that couldn't put any big wins on the board, just like Iowa. So really a couple middling teams here, even though it's a top 25 matchup. And Tennessee favored by eight and a half. You're expected to make some moves on this pathetic Iowa offense on ABC. Now our playoff games tip off at 5 and 845. Michigan and Alabama will be in the Rose Bowl, of course, and Texas-Washington in the Sugar Bowl. And we can discuss these when time gets closer. But in the preseason, I picked Michigan to win the national championship. I thought they had the experience and certainly the talent to, comparable talent to compete with Georgia at the time. I, um, midseason, thought that Washington you know, had the opportunity to win the title, had them rank number one. And at this point, I'm kind of wondering. And thinking in my mind that we'll get an Alabama 
and Texas National Championship. So I'm kind of all over the board here. Uh, I don't like the way that Michigan's offense has looked. I don't like that uh, they've lost one of their top offensive linemen. The run game has not been as productive, and I realize that uh, they beat Penn State by handing it off what, 20 straight times or whatever it was, and then eventually ground Ohio State uh, as well. In the top games, they were able to run the football. I don't think that they're going to win the national championship through Alabama and or Texas Washington quite the same way. I don't think that's going to happen. Washington is here because they do something really well, and that's move the football downfield. Texas is here because that defensive front will run your ass over, and Quentin Ewey Ewers, despite the fact that he sometimes looks aloof or uninterested or I don't know what the deal is, and sometimes doesn't put up the most interesting stat lines, the point is he is a high-floor, very high-ceiling quarterback, and he can certainly win the national championship. And I just have a twinkle, I have an inkling that Texas may actually win this national championship. Now, Alabama and Michigan, I think the defense for Alabama is is very dangerous. I don't know about J.J. McCarthy. I'm leaning um, Alabama in that particular game. Michigan favored by a point and a half, which is a little surprising to me. 45 and a half point over under. Texas favored by four against Washington, 63.5 point over under. Again, Michael Penix has done a great job of problem solving in these games, even when the defense is questionable or it seems like he's getting a lot of pressure. If his three receivers are healthy, which they should be a month removed from their last game, they're going to be very difficult for anyone to deal with. And you can throw on the back end of Texas for them to lose. It would take the kind of offense the Washington Pilots. So very excited for those games, of course. New Year's Day, 5 o'clock, starts off the doubleheader of the playoff games. And um, that's it. We'll have the following Monday, January 8th, for the National Championship at 7.30 on ESPN. I have no idea why we play our National Championship games on a Monday. That seems pretty atrocious. But that is our bowl game overview. I will drop the Pick'em Pool link in the episode description. Just join. Just pick. Let's pick against each other. Let's see how it goes. It's all fun and games. But let's enjoy bowl season. Thanks for tuning in. And um, I'll talk to you later. All my blessings. 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 All my blessings, all my blessings. I need my blessings every penny. Daily counting every single one, I'm seeing plenty. Level up and watch that beat it turn into a belly. See, I'm stunned, so I'm all I'm thinking, please don't tell me. Oh boy, she was seeing you.